0: My name's Doug, one of the pastors for our church, and uh, as Eric said, we're about to start a new series of messages. Um, we're just going to simply and slowly track through the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Philippians now, or open up your app on your phone or whatever it is, and go to Philippians. We're going to start in chapter 1. As you go there, can I just ask you a question? Do you have any, like, favorite childhood memories Right, we all have different memories from our childhood, some really good, some like not so good. But like what are some memories from your childhood that make you smile? They just bring back this feeling of like happiness and then you're like, I love that. For me, I remember just about every single night Um, When it was time to go to bed, I'd go, I'd put on my sleep shorts and my t-shirt, I'd brush my teeth, get like a cup of water to put by the nightstand or whatever, and get my backpack ready for the next day at school, and then I'd lay down in the bed, and I'd lay flat, like fluff up my pillow, trying to make it as comfortable as possible. I'd lean back, and I'd say, give me sugar, mommy and daddy, please, like at the top of my lungs, nice and loud. I'd, we called it sugar, okay? I know that's a little bit awkward, but I'd yell for mom and dad through the house, and without fail, mom and dad would come to my room. They'd come and give me a little kiss on the forehead. They'd say, I love you, say goodnight, and I would just like roll over and go to sleep. It was, it was amazing, and when I think back to those memories, it makes me feel loved and valued and enjoyed. My parents' actions, they, it communicated to me that I was worth the interruption. That they wanted to be with me. That I mattered to them. Their actions were tender and kind. And the fact that they did that every night of my life, until I was too cool for that, communicated that they like, did that from their hearts. They loved me. And it's easily one of my favorite childhood memories. To me, that is a picture of affection. Affection. Affection, And I know affection is not a word we hear too often these days, but it is a beautiful word, and it's in the Bible. And Philippians is all about affection. I think more than any other word, affection might be the word to capture the heart of Philippians. Like in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes to the Philippians, and he says to them, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he writes, If there is any affection or sympathy, then complete my joy by sharing that with one another. Or in chapter 4, verse 1, he doesn't actually say the word affection, but he models it so clearly when he writes to them, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So affection runs like a thread throughout the whole letter to the Philippians. And when I say affection, I mean um, visible expressions of deep love. Visible expressions of deep love. So like when my parents would come and give me a kiss on the forehead, that was affection. It was a visible, affection, uh, visible expression of deep love. Or when like, a husband leans over during the sermon to hold his wife's hand. Hint, hint, husbands. That's affection, Right? It's tangible, touchable expression of deep love. If you buy flowers for your girlfriend or fiancé or wife, or you snuggle with one of your children, or you hang drywall at your friend's house, or you write a letter of encouragement, all of those can be affection, tangible, visible expressions of deep love. And the truth is, we all crave affection, don't we? I don't care how thick my skin is, or how aloof I can be emotionally, I don't care how many Harley Davidsons you have, or tattoos that you have, or how many friends on Facebook, or how loaded your bank account is, we all crave affection. And Philippians is all about affection. Most of all, the letter to the Philippians directs our eyes and our gaze to the very affection of Jesus Christ. Like we said in verse, chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the affection of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? What does that feel like or, or sound like? If Paul is using words like my crown and my joy and my beloved when he's filled with the affections of Jesus, then what is Jesus saying? What words does he use to describe us when he is expressing his affection for us? How does Jesus visibly and tangibly demonstrate his love for his church? I think as we study through Philippians, we're going to get lots of pictures of the expression of love coming from Jesus of the affection of Jesus. So, let's just jump into it. Chapter 1, verse 1. I only have two points for you this morning. Point number one is, the affection of Jesus started the church. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. The affection of Jesus started the church. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. It simply says, Paul and Timothy, that's the guys who wrote this letter, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So, Paul and Timothy wrote this, and then they tell us the recipients, the church in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Paul goes on, and you'll see in verse 3, he remembers these guys, these recipients. And then in verse 5, he talks about their partnership in the gospel from the first day. Then in verse 6, he talks about this good work that Jesus began in them. So the Philippian church had a beginning. They had a first day. Much like we might look at the interest meeting where we ate Qdoba or our first Sunday in this building as our first day, so the Philippian church, they had their first days, their beginnings. We can read about that in the book of Acts, chapter 16. You can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to narrate through it so you don't really have to. In Acts, chapter 16, the first thing we learn about Philippi is that Paul didn't strategically plan to go to Philippi, it wasn't on his, like, let's change the world radar. In fact, Paul and his teammates, Paul liked to plant churches and teams, Paul and Silas, his teammate at that time, they were wanting to go somewhere else. They wanted to go to Asia or Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit, like God himself, forbid that. He said, no, you can't go there. So Paul's sleeping one night and has a vision, and in his dream, there's a man from Macedonia saying, hey, can you come help us out? So Paul and his team take that as direction from the Lord, and they load up and they head to Philippi, which was a leading city in the region of Macedonia. And so that whole, like, just beginning of the story reminds me of us, right, Council Bluffs? You know, I've met a lot of church planters over the years, and I always ask them, where do you think you're going to plant a church, or where are you planting a church? And there's only been one church planter ever who answered that question with, Council Bluffs, (laughs) Most of the time, they were like saying New York City or Chicago or Omaha or Dallas, like big cities, quote unquote, strategic cities. And then all of a sudden I met Eric and I'm like, where are you playing your church? He's like, Council Bluffs, man. I'm going to Council Bluffs. And so what I learned over the years, guys, is Council Bluffs has fallen off the radar of most churches and most church plans, but it certainly hasn't fallen off God's radar. Right, Council Bluffs matters to God. Council Bluffs is a strategic leading city in the region of western Iowa. And so therefore God has called not just me, not just Eric, but all of us. He said, hey, go to Council Bluffs and reach people for Jesus in that city. And so we're doing that. Now back to Paul and his team. We're back in Philippi, okay? They get to Philippi. They start building relationships, connecting with people. And they hear about this prayer meeting down by a river. So they go to the prayer meeting, and they get there, and it's all ladies. So it's a women's prayer meeting, and here comes Paul and Silas. I would think it'd be awkward, but they're like, hey, there's some ladies, let's pray with them. They share the gospel with these ladies. They were god freeing women, but they hadn't heard about Jesus yet. So they knew about God up there, but not Jesus. So they share about Jesus with them. And one lady in particular really opens up. Her name is Lydia, and she was a businesswoman. So Lydia puts her trust in Jesus, goes and shares with her whole family, and they all get saved. They all come to Christ. And bonus, she's rich, right? Which like every church plan's like, amen, let's save some rich people, you know? So Lydia comes to Christ. She's rich. And can I just like say the obvious? Lydia was a woman. So can I just say to you ladies, oh, we thank God for you women. You are so precious in the work of God. You are so valuable in God's kingdom. God loves the way that He has wired you and built you. He has given you gifts, and we are called to empower those gifts so that you might flourish in the church. God is going to use every single one of you ladies mightily in this church, in future church plants, in our city, in businesses, in homes. Ladies, we love that you are a part of this. You are incredible and God cherishes you. The first person, the first convert to Christ in Philippi was a woman. And through that woman, many more came to Christ as well. And so Paul and his team are going back and forth to this ladies' prayer meeting. And as they went back and forth, there was a girl, a slave girl, who was demonized. And so she's just kind of bothering them as they go back and forth to the prayer meeting. Paul kind of gets tired of it. And so finally he casts that demon out, which you think, oh, that'd be great. But that little girl's um, owners have been making money off of her. So when he casts that demon out, it starts a riot in the city because these owners aren't making money. They tell all their friends. So before you know it, people are literally attacking Paul and Silas, ripping their clothes off of them. They imprison them, and the prison guards start to beat them. Things had been looking really good, right? A rich lady got saved. A slave girl got set free. But now it's looking really bad. The church planters are in jail. They hadn't found a building yet. They hadn't raised any funds yet. They hadn't started any city groups. And they're in prison. It's like, oh no, this went in the wrong direction. But Paul and Silas aren't discouraged. In fact, Acts chapter 16 says, they are singing songs to Jesus and praying to Jesus from the prison. They are so filled with the affection of Jesus that even when things go bad, they can't help but sing to Him. And then Acts 16 says that while they're in prison, there's an earthquake. Now, this is the craziest church planting story ever, right? They're in prison. Then an earthquake comes. All of the like, chains are loosed around the prisoners. All the doors are opened up. And so the prison guard is freaking out because he knows he beat most of those prisoners. They're going to be coming for him to settle the score. And he's about to fall on his sword and commit suicide. And Paul goes, no, don't do it. Stop. We're all here. We won't hurt you. And so that prison guard, he then gives his life to Jesus, makes a little bit of sense, right? He hears the gospel, gives his life to Jesus, tells his whole family, and they all come to Christ. That prison guard, who just hours earlier had inflicted wounds on Paul, was now stooping to wash those wounds of Paul. It's incredible. When Jesus changes someone, that is the affection of Jesus, Paul saved this man's life two times. First physically from all the other prisoners, and then spiritually by telling him the gospel. Then that man turns and he heals Paul's wounds. Church, can I tell you, there is none of us that are too far gone to be beyond the reach of the affections of Jesus. Think about this prison guard. For years he had mocked prisoners. He had beaten prisoners. But when Jesus wanted him, Jesus got to him. Jesus was even willing to use some church planters getting imprisoned. And Jesus was even willing to use an earthquake so that he could get to the heart of this prison guard. Jesus chased the prison guard so that eventually that prison guard would chase after Jesus. That is the affection of Jesus. And then like I said... The prison guard and his whole family, they get saved. So now we've got a rich businesswoman in her family. we got a set-free slave girl. And we've got a prison guard in his whole family. You're thinking, oh, a core team's kind of coming together. Maybe those people could plant a church. But the local authorities ask Paul and Silas to leave town. They're like, you guys are too crazy. Just get out of here. Like, and so they leave town, and that's the end of the story. That is a crazy church planting story. Imagine like, you know, Eric and I always get questions from like Omaha. So how's it going in Council Bluffs, you know? It's like us walking up to Paul. So I know you moved to Philippi. Like, how's that been going for you? Well, I kind of went to a women's prayer meeting a few times and then I started a riot and I led a prison guard to Jesus. It was awesome. They're like, that's weird. But that's how Jesus was planting this church. City Light Council Bluffs. Listen, when I hear this story, what stands out to me the most is that Jesus is passionate. He is affectionate for people. He will use rich businesswomen and poor prison guards. He will use riots and earthquakes. He will set slave girls free and turn cities upside down so that people might meet Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This is the affection of Jesus. Tangible expressions of his deep love for people. In City Light, that's still how Jesus plants churches. Did you notice Jesus didn't give Paul a building? Jesus didn't raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for him. They hadn't even started city groups. But what Jesus did do is he reached people. He won the hearts of people. That is the affection of Christ. He chased down rebels and he redeemed religious ladies, which is incredible. So, City Light Council Bluffs, can you imagine those early days in Philippi? Can you imagine like being in those prayer meetings? I can. Because I was in prayer meetings with you guys early on. I still remember our first interest meeting. And at that interest meeting, we broke into small groups to pray. And I ended up praying with two ladies who I had no idea who they were at the time. But now they've become dear friends. And Tammy and Shauna, you guys, it was your faith. You guys prayed with passion and faith for our city. And that stirred up faith in me. I'm like... Okay, God's doing something. I've never met these ladies, and they've been praying for this city for a long time. I got in the car, and I told Whitney, those ladies know how to pray, babe. Like, there's some prayers in this church. And so God used you ladies to stir up faith in our hearts to even plant this church. So I can imagine those early days. I can imagine those early days because I've seen Jesus set some of you free. You were enslaved to alcohol, and Jesus set you free. You were enslaved to lust and lies, and Jesus set you free, just like He set the slave girl free. And I can imagine those early days, because there's two guys who are prison guards in our church, and they serve faithfully with kindness and care, those inmates, for the glory of Jesus. City Light, what we are caught up in as a church is the same thing that the church in Philippi was caught up in, and it's the affection of Jesus Christ. When you walk in this room and you feel loved, that's the affection of Jesus Christ. When your city group feels like a family to you and you want to hang out with them all the time, that's the affection of Jesus Christ. When you look back at your story and you see real change over time, that's the affection of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that He would do that thousands of times over in our city for His glory. I want more of the affection of Jesus. I know that I need more of the affection of Jesus. I want more and more of His affection, His deep love expressing itself to us and through us. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Give us more of your affection, Jesus. So. That's point number one. The affection of Jesus started the church. Now we'll go on to point number two. This is going to blow your minds. You ready? The affection of Jesus sustained the church all the way till the end. The affection of Jesus started the church and then Paul says, the affection of Jesus will sustain you all the way to the end. Look at verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, so that began that good work, that's what we just read in Acts chapter 16, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is a monumental promise, a rock solid assurance for any young church. How could Paul make such a bold proclamation? Right, you, imagine you're at a Bible study with a rich businesswoman, a girl who was demonized and enslaved who has now been set free, and a prison guard who's like led his family to Christ. You're in that Bible study and you get this letter and in that letter you're looking around with all these different people and it says, hey guys, Jesus started something in you and I know, I am sure of this, that He will complete it. My question is like, well how are you so sure of that, Paul? Like right now we're just like a few small families. Let's keep going. Keep going in chapter 1. Right after verse 6, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way. It's right for me to have this confidence about your completion. Why? Because I hold you in my heart. It's almost like Paul is saying, I feel strongly about your future because I feel so strongly about you right now. Right? It's like, I'm confident about you because I love you so much. I don't mean to be crass, but it almost sounds like a middle school love letter, doesn't it? Right? Like you write the love letter, fold it up, send it a few decks down. You haven't talked to her in like three months, but of course she's going to fall in love with you, right? It's like, okay, I just want you to know that I like you so much because your glasses are so cute and it's right for me to feel this way. And I really want to marry you because I like you so, so, so much. I'm just, you know, check yes or no, you know, that sort of thing. That's what it feels like. Paul and the Philippians like have this crush on each other or something. Or maybe there's more to it than that. I think there's more to it than that. Keep going. Paul goes for a couple of verses of just more overflowing affection. But then get to verse 8, which is where we've kind of camped out this morning. In verse 8, he makes it clear that it isn't just his love. This isn't a spring fling, put a ring on the finger before summer break sort of romance. In verse 8, he says, for God is my witness. So Paul's bringing God into this now. All these emotions, he's bringing God into it. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. God Himself will tell you that my feelings of confidence about you, my love for you isn't me, it's Jesus Himself. I yearn for you not with my passions, but with his passions. And because God himself is putting these passions in me, I have confidence that God himself will complete these passions in you. Are you guys tracking with that? In other words, he's saying, Philippi, I know you're going to finish strong because Jesus is passionate about you. The affection of Jesus began your church and the affection of Jesus will sustain your church until Jesus Himself comes back for your church. Paul's emotions aren't like middle school mushy-gushy after all. In fact, Paul's emotions are God-centered and they are Jesus-soaked. Therefore, Paul knows that this Philippian church is going to do all right. They're going to make it. They will be mature. They will be complete, pure, holy, and righteous. Paul's confidence about this Philippian church has everything to do with Jesus, not themselves. Does that make sense, church? Amen? Amen. Paul's confidence about that church has everything to do with Jesus, not them. Now, why does that matter? Why am I making such a big deal about this? It matters because we are in our early days as a church. And we're searching for confidence as a church. And in these early days, we can't help but ask the question, are we going to make it? Are we going to survive? Are we ever going to flourish? I've discovered over the years of being in and around Council Bluffs that there is a cultural fear, like a spiritual fear throughout our city that we are destined to always be the underdogs that we are destined to always be disappointed, right? Whether it's school or sports or family or business, there's just this kind of belief that's in our city and in our culture that we're never going to finish first place or we're always going to finish second place. There's this thought that it's just foolish of us to ever dream of flourishing or ever dream of thriving or ever dream of giving life to others. And sometimes that fear, that cultural, spiritual fear, can seep down into the church. And so we begin to think, are we going to make it? Are we ever going to stabilize? Are we ever going to be mature? Are we going to become more like Jesus? Are we going to be pure and righteous and holy? And so church, as we ask those questions in these early days, let me echo the words of Paul. I am sure of this. I am confident there's a rock-solid assurance down deep in my soul that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it's right for me to feel this way about our church. It's right for me to feel that way, not because we have a building, not because we've raised some funds, not because you guys are an incredibly awesome core team, not because Eric is an awesome preacher for a hobbit, not because Willie and Sarah Jane... (laughs) I love you. Not because Willie and Sarah Jane are like my favorite worship leaders ever. Not because of any of those things. It's right for me to feel this way. It's right for us to feel this sense of confidence about our church because Jesus Christ feels this way about our church. Jesus is drop dead passionate and raised to new life affectionate about His church in our city. And not just City Light Council blocks, but all the churches in our city. He died so these churches will flourish. He died so that our city might meet Jesus Christ. And He raised a new life because of the powerful affections that He has for His church. Therefore, with confidence, I can say that He who began a good work in us is certainly going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, listen, I hope that you have confidence about our church. But I also hope that that confidence isn't in me or Eric or Willie or any of our gifts or skills or any of your incredible willingness to serve and make things happen. I hope that confidence isn't in any of our virtues or our niceness or anything like that. But that confidence is rooted down deep in the affections of Jesus Christ for His church. Jesus is committed to His church, and Jesus will see us through with His affections to the very end. He will accomplish everything that He has for our church to accomplish. That confidence, it's going to have an effect on us. It's going to drive us to pray to this Jesus. When we trust in His passion and His commitment to the church, therefore we're going to go to Him and say, Jesus, help us. We're going to find ourselves trusting Him and praying to Him because of His affections. In fact, that's exactly what Paul does in chapter 1. Paul finishes this section. Right after he's talking about the overflowing affections of Jesus, he turns that and he actually writes out a prayer for this church. So let me just direct your eyes to verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. And I just want to speak this prayer over us as well. City Light Council Bluffs, because of the affection of Jesus, may your love, may your love abound more and more. Literally, it would read, may it overflow upon the overflow. It's like when you leave your cup under the soda machine too long. Overflow upon the overflow. May your love abound more and more with Knowledge and all discernment. So with deep roots in the Bible and wise minds and careful thinking, may your love flourish as your knowledge grows so that, where are we headed with this, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for that day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ if you want to know where our church is headed, what are we dreaming of, and what are we longing for, it's right there. We are headed for purity. We are headed for righteousness, and completion, and maturity. And all of that overflowing love, and rooted knowledge, that leads to purity, and holiness, and righteousness, climaxes in the last few words, to the glory and praise of God. Church, isn't it true, that the affection of Jesus ultimately leads to the glory of God. Jesus' heart beats with passion. It thumps with fury. He yearns with love for His church. He is so passionate about His church that He will do whatever it takes to reach more people and win more people to Himself. Jesus is so passionate about His church that He will never give up on us. He will never give up on you. He will never give up on your children. He will finish what He has started. Why? Because Jesus is committed to the glory of God. He chases after us with affection and passion so that we might forever chase after Him in endless praise to the glory of God. Jesus is affectionately committed to His church so that we as a church might be forever glorifying God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen.